Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And we have done about, uh, boy, somewhere over 400 of these podcasts over the last few years. And while they may seem routine at times, uh, there's also times where I disconnect our guests just minutes or seconds before we go on. But we've corrected that, and we're back on time here. I probably didn't even have to tell anyone other to ensure my guests that we're ready to go. And if you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, despite all of that, you know that uh, more than once we've discussed certain elements of an estate plan. Uh, we've uh, heard uh, from our guests the value of preparing documents to protect your assets and interests if you become incapacitated. Today we're going to take a separate look at a scenario kind of different than that but, but aligns with that as we discuss the process for petitioning for guardianship for someone who may be mentally or, or physically disabled. Um, a lot to cover, as usual, Jim Mitchell with you, and, and uh, we want to dive in here as quick as we can. I'll, I'll be joined by Attorney Jennifer Burt. Jennifer is an associate at Lavelle Law, and uh, she's going to help us navigate through a better understanding of how and why a petitioner for guardianship uh, may be needed and the process that follows. So, Jennifer, I've got you back on the line, and hopefully all is well on your end there. Yes, it is, Jim. Thank you. Good, thanks. So before we dive into the requirements and process and, and some of the details of this uh, in terms of being designated a, a guardian, um, let's backtrack. I've got a, you know two or three introductory questions for you here. First of all, when I use that term guardian, you know what exactly does that mean from a from a legal sense? What I'm referring to in my uh, section here today is a guardian of a person or an estate or both, which they call a plenary guardianship, where the person who needs the guardianship is disabled to the point where they're incompetent and cannot handle their own affairs, financial or otherwise. So the person, another person who is competent would petition the court to become a guardian to be able to control all of the financial affairs or any other affairs of the disabled person. Okay. And as you mentioned, it could be for an individual or for an estate if that has been the way things may have been established. So either or or both. That's correct. Okay. Now, I mentioned in the open that um, some of your colleagues have been on with me in the past and discussed establishing powers of attorney as as part of an estate plan. Um, when we talk about this today, are we assuming, is it fair to assume that this is an instance in which someone previously did not designate someone to make financial or health decisions for them, or, or would that perhaps already be in place as well? Not necessarily. Uh, one person could come in and indicate that they would be the appropriate guardian, regardless of the fact that a, a power of attorney may have named another person to be the guardian and that might be because that person has breached their fiduciary duty to the disabled person. And if that's able to be proved, the court may, in fact, appoint someone else to be the guardian as opposed to the person that was selected by the disabled person. Okay. So let's talk about the process then. How, how does someone go about this? Do they file a particular request or uh, uh, submit a form or um, some sort of action with a court to be designated as a guardian? 
It's, it's called a petition for adjudication of disability and for the appointment of a guardian of the estate or person. Okay. There's two, two components here. You have to first, you have to determine whether or not the person is actually disabled and is in need of a guardian, and then the court will appoint one. So it's a two-part process, and it's similar to a form, but there's a little bit more to it, and you file that with the court. Okay, and you know what? What does the court look for then, in, in terms of this regard? I'm, I'm sure that uh, they need to be particularly cautious. So, when a petition uh, comes in, are there specific elements that they're looking to make sure are accounted for before they take any action? Yes, the petition has to state the relationship of the petitioner who's requesting to be the guardian to the disabled person the name, date of birth, place of residence of the disabled person, the reasons for the guardianship, the name and the address of the respondent's guardian or the agents that might be appointed under the uh, powers of attorney that you previously talked about, the name and address of the uh, disabled person's nearest relatives, the name and address of any facility where where the disabled person may be residing, the approximate value of the estate, the amount of anticipated annual gross income in the estate, and also the name, address, age, and relationship to the disabled person and the occupation of the proposed guardian. So there's quite a bit of information that has to be included in that petition. And and that petition goes to the court. What about the person who the, the petitioner is looking to become a guardian for? Do they have to be involved in some way as well? Yes, they are served with a copy of the petition and the summons to come to court not less than 14 days prior to the hearing set by the court. And is there then a hearing that follows? I mean, could that person then obviously potentially have the ability to object or to say that they don't need it or don't want? Yes, and oftentimes they do. Um, And if they come in and they object, there is a doctor who actually goes out, visits the person, and there's medical reports that come in to determine whether or not that person is, in fact, incompetent or not incompetent and not in need of a guardian. And and tell me about that process. Would would the initial petition also include some sort of analysis from a doctor, um, or is that only in those cases where we just mentioned where there's maybe a dispute or an objection of some sort? Yes, it's, it's a, the petition is accompanied uh, typically by a doctor's report that would contain all the information to be able to assess whether or not this person has a disability, and if they do have a disability, how much does it impact that person's ability to make decisions or to function independently? And is that genuine when you mentioned disability? Are we talking physical disability, uh, mental disability, one, other, both? It could be either. However, you really wouldn't need a guardian if, for your financial decisions, obviously, if you are mentally competent but you are unable to walk, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, certainly um, we, we've, we've got a lot to cover here, and, and fortunately uh, we've, we've got Jennifer Burt with us, and Jennifer certainly stops by from time to time. Um, we, we do as much as we can to kind of get information out as quickly as we can in our podcast, but sometimes they're, they're very brief. 
So if you need more information, don't hesitate to reach out to, to Jen Bird at Lavelle Law. Uh, the firm's website, lavellelaw.com, provides attorney profiles, uh, descriptions of the practice groups, and, and hundreds of informative articles and podcasts, and, and, and some videos as well. So you can get uh, contact information for Jennifer, uh, reach out to her, and arrange a meeting to discuss specific legal needs if, if this is a topic or other topics of interest, uh, depending upon your particular needs. Now, Jennifer, after the court reviews the petition and they see the perhaps the medical analysis or uh, evaluation, is their determination the court then simply a yes or no, or what sort of transpires after the petition is, is uh, submitted? The, the doctor will state whether or not the person is able to function independently or maybe is only partially able to function independently, and the doctor will make a recommendation. But simultaneous with that, or right after that, a guardian ad litem will also visit the, uh, the potential disabled person and also provide a report to the court, which would indicate her findings after visiting the uh, purported disabled person. Okay, and and how does the court then go about making their determination? Do they do if if a petition says I think this person needs a guardian and I would like to be that? Does the court then simply say yes and and here's here's our our finding or what does the process look like? The court's main concern is the best interest and well-being of the person. If they determine that the person is disabled, they will evaluate, and it's in the court's discretion to determine who would be the appropriate guardian for the disabled person. And they'll give consideration to what the disabled person wants, as well as any qualifications of the proposed guardian in making the appointment. They may also consider proposed guardians' business experience, ages, family situations, past actions or conduct, their relationship with the disabled person, so they look at a lot of factors, and then they determine whether or not who they believe, I should say, should be the appropriate guardian for this person. And is it is there ever a case in which a petition says this person needs a guardian, I would like to be that guardian, where the court then says, well, yes, they need a guardian, but we're not going to grant it to you. We're going to provide that to yes. the responsibility of somebody else? Yes. That does happen. If the court does not believe that you would be the appropriate person to be the guardian, they will appoint someone else. Okay. It does not and, have to be a family member. Okay, good. And that was the next question, whether or not to be a family member. And then just, you know, once this occurs, um, I, I assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, part one of the question is, is it is it then a, a permanent situation? And two, if if you are granted guardianship, what you know what responsibilities come along with that then, and, and what are you required to do in the eyes of the court once you've been granted that right? It's it's uh, not permanent. If you are and want to become restored, you can file a petition for restoration, and again, a doctor visits you, a guardian ad litem visits you, and they make recommendations to the court to determine whether or not you should be restored and they will judge your competency again. You know, sometimes your incompetency might only be for a period of time as opposed to forever. So the guardianship uh, is not forever. And with respect to the second question, uh, 
All guardians have a fiduciary duty to the disabled person. They must act in that person's best interest. They must account for every penny that is spent. They must create a budget as to how much money they're going to spend throughout the year. If they have to make any any extraordinary expenditures that are not included in that budget, they have to request the, from the court an order allowing them to do that. Uh, they, they have the utmost responsibility to the disabled person because, as you can imagine, some scenarios come about where perhaps some people are not as honest. And mm-hmm. the court will look into, and everyone in the case will look into every move you make with respect to that person's money. And as you have dealt with these cases, I, I'm sure they can be somewhat emotional at times and, and difficult. If someone comes to you and says, look, I think I need to um, you know, submit this, this petition based on these reasons, what do you advise in terms of what they should expect with the process and um, you know, any reservations or things they might want to do before they go ahead and follow through just to make sure that they know what they're getting into? Well, I would say for sure you'd want to make sure that the person was, in fact, disabled by communicating with them yourself and also by actually hearing that from their doctor uh, before you, uh, you know, potentially ruin a, ruin a family relationship by indicating someone's disabled when they're not. Uh, it can also be a bit expensive. It takes four or five months. So if you're not prepared to um, uh, go through the long haul with it, and particularly if you don't think the person is completely disabled or even partially disabled. Now, I would say taking a look at those factors would be the most important. Okay. Yeah, well, that, uh, you know, certainly um, uh, a difficult and I think uh, very interesting situation we've had the chance to talk about today. But as always, we've only got so much time, and I'm going to have to let uh, Jennifer Burt go. I appreciate her being here. Again, as I mentioned earlier, LavelleLaw.com is a great spot to stop by if you want to find out more about this or any other similar topics. A lot of resources there, including past podcasts and articles and uh, all the information about Jennifer's practice. Um, In in addition to visiting the website, uh, make sure you visit us each week. We're here uh, for a conversation on legal topics, and then all of our past conversations are available at uh, LavelleLaw.com here on Blog Talk Radio or iTunes. So I hope you avail yourself the opportunity to listen in whenever possible. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.